0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Jane's Talks, um, and my, one of my favourite guests um, and most regular guests, um, Alexander Shire, is back today. Um, we're doing a little episode for uh, Christmas, and uh, well, so welcome Alexander, welcome back.
1: Thank you James, it's always a delight to be with you.
0: Yeah, and we're recording this, by the way everyone, we're recording this in the middle of August, um, because Alexander is just about to go away for a few months. And be out of contact. So, um, and we wanted to do a Christmas episode. I'll be, I'll,
1: be, I'll be near you. I'll be walking the ancient Camino in Spain. We're, we're doing uh, 900 kilometres over 52 days.
0: Yeah. Well, you will have done. By the time this goes out, that'll be finished, won't it? Um, but, um... Well, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a Christmas episode with Alexander. And, as, and if you've ever heard, and Alexander's already done, I think... I think five episodes with me now, Um, and I recommend you go and listen to all of those. And um, and if you if you've heard Alexander before, you'll know what we're in for a treat here. Um, So we're going to be talking about Christmas, and there's all sorts of things we can talk about in relation to Christmas. Um, So I think yeah, we're getting close to Christmas now. So the date of Christmas um, we celebrate Christmas on the twenty fifth of december and um but it wasn't always that way i mean how so just talk to us a bit about the history of why we celebrate christmas when we do and the cultural you know the cultural stuff um between jewish culture and celtic culture that's shaped where christmas is and how we celebrate it
1: i i, I love this material and and i i hope that i can share the impact of it with your listeners in a way that that, uh, enlivens their experience of the season. Um, We need to do a little bit of history about how the Christian year came to be. Um, As long as we stayed uh, in the Mediterranean basin, we stayed with our Jewish mother's calendar of a moon cycle. But when we as Christians went north of the Alps, we met the Celtic world. And we have to remember that the Celtic world go at this point in the 4th century went from what is what are the, the British Isles and Ireland all the way to Turkey. Wow. But... Um, but it did not come south of the Alps. So the Celtic world did not come down in the, into the Mediterranean basin. But it, that in, that enormous stretch across Europe has a, a basis underneath it, which we called Celtic, which is uh, organized around a sun calendar, S-U-N. Yeah. Um, And the great tree as the the major symbol metaphor of what connects the upper world, the earth, and the underworld. The great tree is the axis that connects all three levels of life and the S-U-N and the worship of the Mm -hmm. S-U-N. When we as Christians went north of the Alps, with our moon cal- with our jewish moon calendar it didn't make sense or it didn't touch the celtic peoples mm. and so we as christians did something which is our very best thing ever we said okay we understand your story and we're going to show you your story as a deeper we're going to show you a deeper understanding of your story as the story of Jesus the Christ. And so we took the entire Celtic calendar, the entire Celtic year, and we translated it into the life and the grace of Jesus the Christ. So the Celtic world went nowhere. In fact, what we did as Christians is we literally um, abandoned or let go of our moon calendar, except for one feast, which is Easter. Yeah. And we assumed the entire Celtic world's calendar as a way to help them enter the experience of Jesus the Christ. And this comes very, very to the fore around the major ritual moment for the Celts, which is the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. And for anyone in the northern hemisphere, in the way northern hemisphere, the rebirth of the sun, S U N, is a critical moment for life, for growth, for health, for crops, uh, for livestock, etc. So, and in this point in our human development, in our history, peoples still believed that their participation in these rituals created the event that that, it, that the Celts believed that they had to help the sun re, be reborn at the winter solstice or it wouldn't happen.
0: Oh, wow. So the, so the winter solstice was about the birth of the sun?
1: It was S- about the birth of the sun. S-U- and
0: S-U-N, the sun. Yeah,
1: And the winter solstice at this point, <laughs> because we are in the Julian calendar... The winter solstice is the 25th of December.
0: Right.
1: Now, let's sort of paraphrase that for a moment. 1500 years, uh, the 16th century, the Western world makes a transition from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. And the reason for that transition is because over all those years, centuries, millennia, we had not put in the three and a quarter days so that what we had in those years was a sun calendar, which was 362 days long, not 365 days and a fourth. And by the 16th century, the growing cycle and this and the calendar were very askew. And the December the 25th was now in the springtime. And so to, to rectify this, we had to redo the calendar and we had to add three days into every year. And every fourth year we added a fourth we added a new day to make up the fourth of the day that happens in each year. Right. So so immediately what happens is is that everything on the Christian calendar slips three days. Yeah. So the solstice, well, excuse me, everything on the civil calendar slips three days. So the solstice now in the Gregorian calendar goes back to December 21st or December 22nd. And Christmas remained a December the 25th. Yeah. We had a huge cultural dilemma. What to do with the Feast of Christmas? Do we put Christmas back on the 21st, 22nd to keep its roots in what's going on in the earth and the sky, the S-U-N being reborn, or do we leave it on the traditional day that everyone has become accustomed to, which is the 25th?
0: Hmm.
1: Well, we know the resolution was, of course, it's going to stay on the 25th, but let's guess why. There's a Hmm. very, very deep reason that the theologians came up with to leave the feast on the 25th, and again, it has to do with what's going on in the earth and the sky <laughs> combined with the story of Jesus. So, there are three days between the solstice and Christmas now. Hmm. What what does three days remind us of in the story of Jesus?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the... Uh, obviously... The three days Jesus. between the death, the death and the resurrection, obviously. Right, Jesus yeah. is
1: in the tomb three days and on the third day he rises. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> what this does too is yeah. now we go back to we've got a historical anchor in Jesus' life, but Christianity always has to, when it does it best, it always has to anchor it in the earth and the sky because we're an incarnational religion. Yeah. And and solstice, the word solstice means, and I realize that this podcast is going to be coming out just around the solstice. Solstice literally means sun, soul, stis, still, Sun still. Hmm. And the Celts know, because uh, in, in earlier days, they didn't have all the instrumentation that we have today, yeah, that at the summer solstice, and at the winter solstice, the sun seems to stand still in the sky for how long? Hmm. Three days. Yeah. That it's the third day after the winter solstice when the Celts, with their naked eye, could see the lengthening shadows on the standing stones meaning that the sun was beginning to grow again. The sun's light was growing again. Yeah. Equally, at the summer solstice, mm. it's three days after the summer solstice when the naked eye can begin to see that light is beginning to dim. Yeah. So now we have a historical anchor in Jesus' life combined with what's going on in nature. And this is what's so phenomenal about Christianity and what we've lost and I and I ache to awaken in us again is that every one of our feasts in the northern hemisphere is intimately connected to the earth and the sky. We are an incarnational faith. We use the story of nature to be an experiential uh, reality to the story of Jesus. That on the winter solstice the night of the greatest darkness, we understand that spiritually the night of the greatest darkness is precisely the moment when radiance is reborn. Yeah. And that we're going to visibly be able to experience that that rebirth in three days. (laughs) So that on Christmas morning, for the first time on Christmas morning now, if you are very, very attuned to the heavens, you actually, with your naked eye, can experience light growing again.
0: That's awesome! That's flipping awesome! I mean, I know guys that I know guys that um, celebrate Christmas on the twenty-first of December, um, because uh, yeah. that's when the solstice is. You know, um, but yeah, this is fascinating fascinating and it's so it's just fascinating
1: to see let's take it a step further because i realize that many people think that the great tree um Mm. is is totally disconnected from christianity and nothing could be further from the truth what we experienced when we went north of the alps and we met the celtic world is that On December the 24th, again, the solstice is going to be the night of the 24th and 25th, but on the day of December the 24th, people in their villages are decorating the village's sacred tree that is in the square or the plaza of the village. Mm. And what they are doing on this day And and let's remember that the sacred tree to the Celts was first the oak tree. Okay. And it didn't become the fir tree until the oak forests were decimated.
0: Right. Oh, right.
1: And what is true about both the oak tree and the fir tree and why they are the sacred tree to the Celts is because both draw lightning and... The lore of the Celts is is that they were able to harness fire by taking burning limbs from an oak tree or a fir tree and harnessing fire. And fire is the element which really helps them survive till springtime.
0: Wow.
1: So on the night of the winter solstice, they are going to celebrate the regeneration or the rebirth of the sacred tree, which brings them fire. Right. And I hope everyone is relating this to the presence and the reality of Jesus the Christ. Yeah. But there's one more thing that the Celts are doing to celebrate the birth of the oak tree or the fir tree at this point, and that is they are tying dried fruits into the tree. Right. Interesting. And the Christians look at this, and they go, Ah, they're doing the Garden of Eden.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. And oh.
1: they're this tying of the dried fruits onto the great tree in celebration for the gift of fire. Yeah. We make December the 24th, and sadly, it's fallen out of the Christian calendar. But for centuries, December the twenty fourth was the feast of Adam and Eve.
0: Oh, is that, I mean, we have I mean, we have the there's a the thing called a Christingle where we. I think often we have satsum or something on the tree, or some kind of fruit on the tree. Um, yeah. Some churches still but, do those but, services.
1: But but. All of these beautiful glass ornaments and things that we put that we adorn the tree with are just further refinements of oh. what we saw the Celts do hundreds of years ago in terms of tying dried fruits in the tree.
0: Oh my goodness. So when so like the whole Christmas tree thing, you could actually you know, there's links yeah. to and, Eden. Yeah. And
1: and it is why in in the greatest tradition of Christianity. The tree is not put up until December the twenty fourth, and on December the twenty fourth we decorate uh, the tree of the Garden of Eden, and we recognize that with that in the birth and the presence of Jesus the Christ, we stand in the Garden again.
0: Oh, wow! That's phenomenal. That is. It really so, It's so good. <laughs> Oh, I love that! I love the symbolism there. It's just, you know, like the coming of the Christ to to make to to restore things and renew things. Um, and this is
1: all coming in a forthcoming book. But one of the sadnesses, and it's why I need to write to finish writing my book on Christmas, is most people will trace the development of quote unquote the Christmas tree back to Victorian times. They don't go back far enough. Mm-hmm. What happened in Victorian times is uh, sadly, we lost the sense of the one great tree of the village that we all gathered around. Mm. And now what happened in Victorian times is everybody wanted their little piece of Jesus. And so rather than the great tree for the entire village, it became a, a tree in everybody's home.
0: Uh, yeah, we we made it smaller. Made it, more, it made, made it more individualistic I, in fact
1: I still love the beauty of the community gathered around the tree, but we lost the sense of the one tree of the entire tribe.
0: Mm. And of course when you think about trees, you think about wood you think about you know what's what's a cross made of you know um, there's that other way to it as well. I mean like, you know what well, they say Jesus didn't they say Jesus was hung on the tree? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always wondered why they say that. If it, I thought it, maybe it's just because it was something made of wood or whether there was some other deeper meaning to it. But Well, um,
1: it, it goes back to because as Christians, we believe that Jesus the Christ is already everywhere. Hmm. As the Alpha and the Omega, we don't go and take Jesus places, we go and we discover that Jesus the Christ is already there. And so when we come to the Celtic world and we see their god, Odin, dying on the sacred tree, we go, ah! You're telling the story of Jesus the Christ, you just don't know it yet.
0: Hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's Amazing.
1: Um, so the, the best of Christianity is always to take what a culture is already doing and already understanding and helping them deepen that into the understanding of Jesus the Christ. Yeah. Because the Christ is already everywhere.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And we, and we are telling a universal story. It, it's, it's birthed in a particular moment, but it's a universal story and the and the and the fact that it's a the, the power of Jesus the Christ is this universality. Yeah. That it transcends a particular moment in time and it transcends culture. Yeah. And it can be found everywhere.
0: Hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Christ in all things.
1: So, so Let's go. I'll do one more step about the Celtic world and how we bring this into ourselves yeah. in Christianity. Yeah. The the Celts the winter solstice festival was 13 days long, and it was it was a celebration of birth and birth of the S U N. But because it was a celebration of birth. It was also a celebration of the feminine and the mother that gives birth.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And makes sense. And the number and the number and the reason that it was a 13-day celebration is because 13 is the sacred number to the great mother. Okay. All right. Now.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: It, we've tricked ourselves in Christianity. Um, and we no longer realize that Christmas is a 13-day festival, not a 12-day festival. And I don't know really why we did it, and some people will say it's because we didn't want to have this connection with the Great Mother. But it's Christmas Day followed by the 12 days of Christmas for a 13-day festival.
0: Right. I see. Okay, so...
1: And that 13-day festival directly relates to the Celtic festival. So I'm just going to go one step further into the Celtic festival, and then we'll sort of let that rest, and people can wait for my book.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: December the 26th, which is the second day of the winter solstice, or the Christmas festival, mm-hmm. um, in... Britain and I believe you will call this Boxing Day.
0: Yes, that's right, yeah.
1: And where I grew up in the United States and I kept thinking Boxing Day meant like two people in a ring with gloves on. I was like what is this Boxing Day about?
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, we have some strange things here. (laughs) Well, now let's (laughs) understand this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, What I understand now is that Boxing Day meant the day that you box or collect gifts to take to yeah. the poor and the ill and the old.
0: Yeah, that's, that's about right.
1: Okay, and mm-hmm. that, that ritual action of collecting gifts is a further understanding of the Feast of Stephen, the first martyr, yeah. who gave his physical blood for love. And so we translated that giving of that physical martyrdom. We translated into the into the internal extension of heart. Yeah. And the taking yeah. care of the poor and the elderly, which was critical in the Celtic world, because if the poor and the elderly were not taken care of, they would not make it to the springtime.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: But let's. But it's even further, James. So let's go back. Yeah. What were the Celts doing what were the Celts doing on this feast of, of the second day of the winter solstice feast the 26th of December they had um, a ritual and we might think it gory
0: hmm.
1: where where men and boys and this was gender specific men and boys on the 26th of December would go out and kill, a small bird, a wren, okay, and pour and pour its blood into the earth to help the sun, S U N, regenerate.
0: Right. So there'd be a sacrifice. Right. And some we blood. see
1: that we see that ritual and we don't want to continue the 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 sacrifice of an animal. Hmm. And we go, ah, the feast of Stephen, the martyr who gave his blood for love.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: And then it and then we make it into a ritual for men who on and boys on the twenty sixth of December gather gifts and take them to the poor and the elderly and the ill.
0: Hmm, wow. The yeah. entire
1: Celtic calendar is underneath and the basis for our Christian celebrations. Yeah. And we we have not destroyed the Celtic calendar, we've we've made it an internal spiritual practice.
0: That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. We've basically taken what what was there. And we interpreted it for ourselves, and
1: well, and and I would say we've widened it, um, and and we've made it um, a, a more an expression of our heart rather than that we have to go out and kill a bird. Yeah, that that we've understood the symbolic meaning of what they were doing. And we don't, when we don't say to the Celtic world, that's wrong or that's bad, we say, let's understand this in a deeper way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about giving and about love and about non-violence as opposed to right. what it was before, which was about killing, blood, you know, violence, whatever. Well, and,
1: and, it, and it's about, because in, in a, this is where my cultural anthropology is, is a help, Most of the world's indigenous traditions have to teach a young boy how to shed blood.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's right.
1: And this was part of the Celtic ritual of teaching a young boy how to shed blood for something greater than himself.
0: Yeah. Mm. But
1: we as Christians come along and we understand that it's an internal shedding of blood. Yeah, not only an outer shedding of blood.
0: Yeah, it's about sacrifice. It's about yeah, internal sacrifice in a sense, rather than just and physical that, sacrifice. That
1: men, that men need to understand the shedding of blood, uh, in in a very visceral way, because women have this in their bodies, and we and we don't. Yeah. And so we have to we have to be taught about this in our in our initiation rituals.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and the very paradoxical thing here is is that to teach about the shedding of blood creates more um, uh, the the word that creates a, a more gentle man a more integrated man. I mean people think that that to be to to teach about shedding blood is going to create violence and it actually does just the opposite.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well when yeah, exactly. When you well yeah, I mean when you when you talk about the cross as well, you know, it's Right. That's about shedding of blood, but it's not about violence. Well it's about the rejection. It's about the defeat of violence, in fact. You know. Um, in a sense, because you know, when you Jesus doesn't resist, he doesn't fight back. He lets them do what he lets them do their worst. Basically, he lets them subject he subjects himself to the worst kind of torture and violence that it was possible for someone to undergo, and then
1: and he and he takes this rather than against someone else. He takes it into his own heart hmm. and transforms it.
0: Yes, that's right. Transforms it into yeah,
1: and that's the journey, and that's the deep journey of every Christian.
0: Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, taking taking, like when you take communion, you know uh, As I was hearing the other day, you, you know, you take, you take the body and blood into you. You become one with Christ. It, um, it's becomes part of you. Christ becomes you. Become one with the Christ, and then your job is to go out into the world and be. Christ in the world, you know right. um, and so it transforms you right. that's the whole the whole point of it, yeah, wow
1: <laughs> so the the last day of the festival, the thirteenth day is the feast that we call epiphany,
0: yes I've, yeah and,
1: and, a, and epiphany literally means as a, as a word, it means light made manifest, yeah. And we need to understand that the Feast of Epiphany is not the story of the Magi coming. Um, We've dumbed down Christianity, folks. Uh, Over our history, we have used three different Gospels for the Feast of Epiphany. We've used the coming of the Magi. We've used um, the, uh, the the baptism of Jesus or the mitzvah bath of Jesus in the Jordan. And we've used the wedding feast at Cana. The feast is about light made manifest. Now, which which gospel story do we want to use to to uh, to match what's going on in nature about the manifestation of light? Hmm. And any of yeah. those three gospels will take us there. So we need to disconnect ourselves from this sweet story about Magi in such a literal way, and understand that we've got three gospel stories, and each one of us give us an experience of light made manifest, and that that's what the feast is about. Because what the Celts are celebrating on the last day of the thirteen day celebration of the winter solstice is that by the thirteenth day, by the feast of the Epiphany, your body is having an experience of lights growing in nature. Yeah. And I, I, and I really ask you as you move through these next days uh, together, and if that, if the sun is shining as you get to the twelfth and the thirteenth day of the of the festival, uh, don't you experience how dramatic? It's subtle, but it's dramatic. Hmm that light has come back into the world.
0: Yeah, yeah it does become very obvious, I think. Yeah. If, we, if we have our eyes open to see it, you know. Um...
1: And that that's the journey of the Christian over these days. By our practice, by our faith and our practice, are we too manifesting this new fresh radiance in the world? Will people... Pick up the aroma of resurrection from our lives.
0: Yeah, that's right. Of new life, new light coming into the world. Are we gonna be? Are we gonna be that light to the world? I suppose. Yes. You know. Um,
1: yeah. So, I- now, so now we can we can go back and um, I, I want to look at the four gospels of. Christmas night and Christmas day.
0: Yeah, okay, let's go. And,
1: let's do it.
0: <laughs> and,
1: um, because, because there are a couple of feasts in our tradition that the feast tells the entire journey by how it chooses the Gospels that we pray at different hours of the night and the day. And the feast of Christmas is one of the best. And I'm going to use here, um, there are many, many times the Revised Common Lectionary, because it came out 25 years after the Roman Lectionary, is a more full expression of the cycle. But Christmas is an example of where the Roman Lectionary is a more full example than the Revised Common Lectionary. The Revised Common Lectionary is used by the Anglicans, the Lutherans, um, and almost all Christian denominations uh, except the Roman. The Roman Lectionary is used by the Roman Catholics. And the Roman Lectionary was released in 1969, and the Revised Common Lectionary was released in 1992. The Roman lectionary still has the better Christmas cycle because it still has all four Gospels in the correct order to be prayed. Yeah. The first Gospel of Christmas is just after sunset on December the 24th. And the Roman Church has reinstituted after the Second Vatican Council, the Roman Church has reinstituted the ancient sacred day the rest of Christianity is still wrestling with this yeah. but the ancient sacred day starts every feast of the church starts every day of the church right after sunset mm. and for those of you who have gone and who have listened to the Quadratus interviews that we've done um, you will know that The Gospel of Matthew is the text of the first path. And the text of the first path is about waking up. And it's about waking up in a moment when your life has suddenly turned very seemingly dark. Hmm. And this is the ancient Jewish understanding, and it is the Christian understanding until the advent of the clock in the 16th century. Hmm. that our day started just after sunset when the world has gone into darkness because we want to continue the Jewish spiritual practice and understanding that when the world turns dark is not the end but the beginning.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that idea because that's basically saying after death comes resurrection. You know, after... After the lights go out, it's not the end. It's just the beginning, you know. Um,
1: And this is why in the Christian calendar, Advent starts in late November or early December when our cultural world in the Northern Hemisphere is turning to its darkest moment.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. We choose this dark moment of November to understand that darkness tells us we are at the beginning, not the end.
0: That's oh, so good. That's so good. Oh, so good. oh I, it's funny because I've been talking to a few people in my interviews for this podcast, and one of the things that's come out again and again is is um, that actually you have to walk in in terms of practice, in terms of real life, you have to. Instead of you, we can't. We can't numb our suffering. That we actually have to walk through it, and embrace right. it, and actually that that is the point of real change. That is the point where the, the good stuff happens. That that is just the beginning of something else, and that something good. You know, that actually that, that that it's not going to be wasted. That it's actually going to be the start of something else. Um, and we need to embrace our pain and not numb it, because it will ultimately serve to transform us. And so to hear this as well. And and, and that's
1: why, James, and it's just three weeks ago, the first Sunday of Advent in in the Christian churches, we heard a text from Matthew about wake up. Uh, And and the first Sunday of Advent, no matter which gospel passage we use, it always has the phrase in it about wake up, which is that bell saying, don't go numb, don't go back to sleep. In, in a moment of darkness, wake up to what's happening. Even, and perhaps even more importantly, if it's painful, don't go numb. Wake up. Stay with it. Understand that this pain is not about the end, it's about the beginning.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, that I minute, mean, that just gives me so much hope, Yeah. know. Um, yeah. So...
1: The first gospel of Christmas is the genealogy from the text of Matthew, which we read just after sundown on December the 24th, and it's this very strange text to read as a Christmas gospel with all of these guys and all of the begots, and I understand why people today may be pulling back from the text because it reads like patriarchy, etc., but there's a very profound, profound radiance in this text. If we can get under, if we can get beneath the words that somehow seem so disturbing, mm. and and the, and what's in the text is these all of these places and there're five places where the text deviates from a way that a Jewish person would usually tell a genealogy. And it mentions a woman. And um, I'm going to trust now that um, that children are not listening uh, to uh, this podcast for just a moment.
0: Yeah, I, I don't generally have children listening to this, so that's not a Because I a just
1: want to tell, like, the, the first... Uh, place that we see this in the genealogy right near the beginning is when Tamar is mentioned. And no, this, is a, this is a very, very odd way to tell a genealogy if you just want to tell about biology. Yeah. Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. Right. And Tamar's husband has died And Tamar is now afraid that she's going to be left aside from the line of Abraham and is not going to be part of this continuing heritage. She pleads to Judah, and he agrees that he will marry his third son to her when his his third son comes of age. Mm -hmm. However... The third son has come of age and Judah is making no moves to marry him to Tamar. So now this is a story from about 4,000 years ago. And Tamar goes and dresses as a vestal virgin and sits by the roadside praying that Judah, on his way to the temple... Will stop and choose to lie with her in the whole metaphor about what lying means. Yeah. And Judah does come to her. And Tamar feels that the hand of Yahweh is in this. But Judah is also very smart and very wise and very clever. And she asks Tamar, uh, she Tamar asks Judah for his ring before they lie together. Hmm. And he gives it to her. And Judah, I mean, Tamar conceives, and she's bearing twins, as we discover. Yeah. But when Judah hears that Tamar is pregnant, he becomes very angry, and he pronounces a death sentence on her. Which is four thousand years ago. It's her. It's his right to do this. We can look back and look at the horror of that. We know that some people still consider women property, mm. but four thousand mm, years certainly. ago, that was what people. You know, people thought of a, a father, a patriarch, thought of a woman as his property, and by her pregnancy, she had brought shame on the family name. And by right, he could have her killed. And he pronounces a death sentence. Tamar does not dispute the death sentence. She simply asks to meet Judah before she's executed. And upon meeting Judah, she produces the ring. Right. And the death sentence is removed And her offspring now continue in the line of Abraham. I see. Each Mm. one of these variations in how a genealogy would usually have been told describes a moment where a person had fallen in to some what we might call dark time in their life. Yeah. And each one of these moments tell the story about how their perseverance through that dark time led to a newness, and not to an end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what happens. It's yeah. it's, it's the truth, you know. Um,
1: and that if you think yeah. the if you think the Messiah is born in you because of moral purity. No,
0: No, that's right. Yeah, Um, Jesus' lineage doesn't... doesn't...
1: Every one of these stories in the genealogy is about something that's very odd and something that people might look down their noses and go, that can't be of God. Yeah. A wolf dressing as a versatile virgin and tricking her father-in-law, that can't be of God.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... It's amazing, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like saying, Jesus, is the, this is the Christ, but he's also not, he's also, it's not about, whether he's the Christ is not about moral purity and not about genealogy. It's just, you know, um, that, that he's an outsider as well, you know, in a sense.
1: So the opening story of Christmas <clears throat> is the story of, is the challenge and the inspiration to each one of us to receive a dark moment in our personal life, to receive a dark moment in our world's life right now. And gosh, how, how we know that this is in many ways a dark moment. Mm. And to understand that these moments are about God's new action, not about God's abandoning us. Hmm. We have a journey to make through these moments. This is not, quote-unquote, the world going to hell in a handbasket. This is about God's expansion of our practice of wisdom and compassion.
0: Hmm.
1: So now we move to the second gospel of Christmas, which we read late in the night. And the mm. second gospel comes from Luke. <clears throat> and it's the story of the angel appearing to the shepherd in the field.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> at night. Yeah. And the key to understanding this is to understand the metaphor of the shepherd.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because... Because they were...
1: the, the, the shepherd in the first century is the homeless refugee uh, the undesirable. The, the shepherd is not the kindly wonderful shepherd of a thousand years earlier uh, and under David the, where the shepherds were were these beautiful caretakers. Mm. <clears throat> the shepherd in the time of Jesus is a brigand or a thug or a refugee, or a homeless person, a, a marginalized person that most people in polite society would rather not see. Hmm. And this is where the angel comes in the night to announce the birth of the Messiah. The angel yeah. does not come to our beautiful, radiant, best selves but the angel comes to the part of us internally and amongst us that's the least and the lowest.
0: Yeah. The gospel's for every single person. Again, it's the outsider, isn't it? The yes. People on the fringe, the people who feel that they're left out or forgotten or whatever, or don't belong anywhere, that actually it's like you do belong, you are invited, you are loved, you are part of this, you know. Right. Um.
1: And, and that that, um, I always like to go both outside and inside. That it's that person in our midst, outside, and it's those aspects inside of us that we feel are less than, that we would like to walk away from. Mm. This is where the angel comes. This is where the birth of the Christ radiance is needed. Yeah. And then, Um. and then now, because we're making this, remember, Christianity is an incarnational faith. It's a practice of eco spirituality. Yeah. We started after sunset in the dark. We went deeper into the dark and heard in the depths of dark the angel coming to the shepherd. And now we move to dawn. And at dawn, we read the gospel of the shepherd coming to the manger and worshiping. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What, What in the darkness we heard as proclamation and promise, we now come to dawn and see with our outer eyes it is true.
0: Yeah. Not just a dream, but it's actually real. Right. Yeah.
1: So walking with the cycle of nature and the cycle of darkness, deep darkness, dawn, we also walk with the internal spiritual practice, knowing that outer nature is a way that we experience our own personal walk of faith. That we too if we walk with faith through the dark times, we will be brought to the dawn where we will experience and see again.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is... That's such a great message of hope at Christmas. You know, I mean, both of these sides of Christmas that we've covered, they kind of, they complement each other completely. It's you know, it's new light coming into the world, it's, you know, things getting darker and darker and darker, and then suddenly things start to slowly get lighter and lighter and lighter in nature and in our lives, you know, and also, obviously, in the story itself, Jesus comes into the world, you know, Um, it's amazing, it's amazing.
1: And we have a fourth gospel of Christmas, And uh, just as you said that, James, uh, I looked up and I looked outside the windows here, and we are at just first light. As we've been talking, um, we've gone from dark dark to first light. Not quite dawn yet, but first light. Mm. The fourth gospel of Christmas, which we now read in the daytime of Christmas. Mm. And I understand that many, many churches will not read this text that they will probably stay with the text of the shepherds coming to the manger and worshiping but the fourth and the final gospel gospel of christmas day to be read in the full light of daytime is the prologue from the gospel of john and this is this is such a beautiful and a powerful um, manifestation of the message of Christmas, because what John's prologue does is it reminds us that Jesus the Christ has always been, that Jesus doesn't start uh, in a manger in Bethlehem, or hmm. <clears throat> uh, or as Matthew tells us, um Uh, in somebody's home in Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus the Christ has always been. And because Jesus the Christ has always been, we have to redefine Christmas Day. Yes, we celebrate the historical reality of Jesus being born in our midst, but that's not Jesus' beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Mm. Jesus Jesus has always been everywhere. And this is so critical for us as Christians to remember. Jesus has always been everywhere. We don't go and take Jesus anywhere. We go and call forth Jesus who's already before us.
0: Yeah. It's like again, and, it's like again the you know, communion when when you when you take the body and the blood, you become one with the Christ. Yeah, you know, and you go yeah. out into the world and you are you are Christ in the world. You are Christ incarnate in the world because he is one with you.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the one of the challenges is that we have made the birth of Jesus so literal and mm-hmm. particular to a moment in time that we have forgotten the rest of the story, which is what we see in this story in the gospel of Jesus' birth in one moment of time is the truth of every moment in time yeah so look for that birth in your life now look for that birth in your world now look for that birth in your relationship now look for that birth in your country now, look for that birth in your spiritual tradition now, in your family now. It's always now. It's always here and now. Don't make an idolization or a dramatic presentation of that birth 2,000 years ago translate it to your life now.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because it's... because yeah because it's while it's right to celebrate you know the the physical incarnation of Christ in Jesus, what I think what Jesus came here for is to show us how to live at one with him at one with God yes. and to to live that out in our in our lives in our journeys and share that with others you know and yeah that's that's what it's all about. You know, it's and while we should celebrate those days, that's the point of the point of Jesus in a sense was to how you're gonna live today, how are you are you how are you gonna live out what I talked about? How are you gonna love the outsider? How are you gonna love your neighbour? How are you gonna forgive your neighbour? How are you gonna love your enemies? You know, how are you gonna put this into practice in every single part of your life? You know. How are you going to deal with your darkness? Are you going to numb it, or are you going to confront it and find new life through it? You know, um... Pre- precisely,
1: precisely, and so certainly, I want to tell the young people, uh, you know, this beautiful story of Jesus's birth two thousand years ago, hmm. but. I want to open that story up as we grow and we develop. That's how a young person learns. But that's just where we start the story. Hmm. As, we, as we grow, as we become adolescents, as we become adults, as we become more mature, we don't go back and just look at those shepherds. We look at our shepherds. And we don't go back and just look at those magi. We look at... Who are our magi and where are they coming from today? We don't go back and just look at that manger. We ask about our manger now. We translate what was a historical story into a present moment happening in our world right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. That's phenomenal.
1: And we understand that nature is giving us that very same story as we move in a 24-hour cycle from sunset to the deepest of night to dawn and full day and then back to sunset. Mm. And we understand that the yearly cycle is also giving us that same story as we move from the depths of November to the dawn of perhaps March To the full light of June, and back again to the depths of November.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is amazing. I mean, so much, so much there, and so much hope and depth, and yeah, it's really um, inspiring. As every time you come on, it's inspiring. But yeah. So I want
1: to, and I I realize that this podcast will probably be released right around the winter solstice. And um, I'd like to end with my Christmas greeting for you, James, and for everyone who may be hearing this podcast. And I want to go back to the beautiful name of Christmas, which is Christ's Mass. And the word Mass means to send forth. And my wish for all of us is that by our prayer and our practice and by the love and the community of these days, that the Christ in our lives may be magnified, that we may send the aroma of the Christ into these dark times, and these dark places, and that especially the least and the lowest among us may be raised up by our prayer.
0: Oh, man, Nice. That is wonderful. That is wonderful, and it's a great way to end. Um, thank you, Alexander.
1: Well, Merry um, Christmas.
0: Yeah, Merry Christmas to to you and to everyone who's listening. Um, I hope you find hope and light this Christmas and have a really joyful time. Um, yeah. So, thank you, Alexander, and uh, take care, everyone. And we'll talk. We'll talk soon. Okay. I'll look forward. to